Well, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome all of you guys. I want to welcome our uh, West Falls Church campus and everyone who's with us online to um, part four, the final part of this series called Faith That Works. We are looking at a letter that was written 2,000 years ago by the younger brother of Jesus named James. And an interesting note about James is he actually didn't believe that his brother was anything special throughout Jesus' entire lifetime. James didn't believe that. It wasn't until after Jesus was crucified and, um, as we read, um, appeared to many of his followers afterwards, that is when James came to believe that Jesus was actually the Son of God. And, uh, and so James came to become a prominent leader in the early church in Jerusalem. And, um, and he... We only have one letter from James that we find in the New Testament, and um, so we've been exploring that letter, and um, essentially the premise of the letter, in case uh, this is your first time, or maybe a little recap for, uh, for those who, uh, who, it's been a while since we kicked off this series, essentially what James is saying, the main theme, the main thrust of this letter is, as he's writing to Christians to encourage them in their faith, is look, It's great that you have faith. It's awesome that you believe in Jesus. But how are you actually living out your faith? That's what James is after. He wants to see faith accompanied by deeds. He wants to see faith that works. Now, the reason that he's so adamant about us living out our faith as Christians isn't just for the sake of religious piety, isn't just for the sake of that we could all sit around and talk about how great we are as Christians, but he is adamant about this because ultimately we are God's plan for a broken world. You see, Jesus is no longer walking this earth, helping, healing, serving, loving people. He's gone. And now he has empowered us through his spirit, those of us who've put our faith in Jesus, to be his hands and his feet, to love and to serve and to bring hope to a broken world. That's why James says we are to live out our faith. So today we're going to be looking at a few verses in the third chapter of James's letter. And um, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And here James is saying something that's so important if we're going to live out our faith well. If we're actually going to love and serve like Jesus did. So verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility of that comes from wisdom. Okay, so he's saying, when we go out and we love and we serve, and we do these deeds, we've got to do them in humility, in humility that comes from wisdom. And over and over in this short letter from James, we see him talking time and time and time again about the importance of humility. Now, why is humility such a big deal to James? Well, When you don't have humility, okay, and what is that known as when you're full of, when you're full of pride, right, exactly. When when you don't have humility, when you've got a lot of pride, it's very hard to actually live out your faith. It becomes difficult to love and serve and forgive and to do those things that Jesus did. 
I want to read you a quote from um, an author named Andrew Murray, who wrote a book called Humility. And this may be the greatest uh, writing on humility that is out there. This is what Murray says. He says, there is nothing so dangerous as pride. It's natural to us. It is insidious and yet hidden from our sight. Pride is behind all lack of love, all indifference to the needs of others, and their feelings, and their weaknesses. It is the source of all hasty and critical judgments. All manifestations of temper, all touchiness and irritation, all feelings of bitterness, and all unforgiveness come from a spirit of pride. You know what's funny about pride and humility? When we hear this topic, when we know that there's going to be a talk or a sermon or a book that covers pride and humility, we're largely not interested, are we, if we're going to be honest? In fact, for many of us, when we figured out that today is going to be all about humility, we kind of had this moment where we're like, oh man, you know, I was kind of hoping that, that you know, today would be like some relevant topic that would really help me in my life. Because as Murray says, it's, pride is this insidious thing that is hidden from our sight. You know, if I was to ask everybody right now to close your eyes and just anonymously, if I asked you if you struggle with pride and a lack of humility, and I just asked by a show of hands, I bet you not a single hand would go up, right? Because here's the thing. We all know someone who struggles with pride, right? We have someone in our life, but it's not us, is it? I mean, it's not me. Definitely not. So, you know, here's the funny thing. It's like, man, it's, it, it doesn't seem to be relevant in some way. Yet, if, if even a small portion of what Murray said in this quote, if, if even some of it applies, as Christians, man, we had better pay attention. Because you see, pride is really like the silent killer of the Christian life. Yet it's hidden from us. We don't realize it. It's like this blind spot that we have. Now, in the next couple of verses, James talks about two things that the early church is struggling with. And you can kind of think of them as enemies of humility. He says in verse 14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's harsh, James. Verse 16. He says, For where you have, and here are these, these two things the church is struggling with, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Man, James is really adamant about these two things. So I just want to ask you, how are you doing with envy? How are you doing with selfish ambition? And I got to tell you, the struggle with envy, living in 2019, in Washington, D.C., I mean, it's, it's a real thing, man. It really is. It's, it's tough. And, and I know that firsthand. I really do. Because you see, 
I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, my, my football team, the Cincinnati Bengals, right now is the worst team in the NFL. You think maybe I've got a little problem with envy going on right now at this point in the football season? Oh yeah, I do, I do. But, you know, as much as I may be struggling, there's actually someone worse. Um, there's someone who's struggling even more than me. Um, and and I, so I don't know if, if you've ever heard uh, Pastor John, who is a just a lifelong, diehard Washington Redskins fan. I, I don't know if, if you've heard him talk at all about the New England Patriots, and particularly when the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, you know, but, but all I can tell you guys is that he really needs our prayers, you know, I mean, he really does. In fact, um, West Falls Church, like, like, if you guys are sitting near where he's sitting, I, I would just encourage you, at the end of the service today, if you could just kind of gather around and lay hands on him and pray for him, that would be amazing. Um, Pray for the Redskins too, man. I mean, $4 tickets. You know that, right? They were selling tickets for the last home game for $4, okay? So anyway, but here's, here's the point. Here's the point of all this, okay? When we think about envy, here's, here's how you can kind of get a little barometer on, on whether envy is a, is a challenge for you. When you have other people in your life and they're doing well. They're experiencing success. Uh, they get a promotion. Something great happens in a relationship. Or maybe it's just something awesome happens to them. Uh, what is your reaction to that? How do you feel when you notice something really good happens for someone else? And maybe that thing hasn't happened for you yet. Are you happy for them? Can you be genuinely um, glad that, that they experienced something good? Or do you have other feelings that you experience? Because then maybe you're struggling with envy. Um, the other thing that the early church is struggling with here that James is addressing is selfish ambition, which he says is leading to all sorts of negative things. And I want to just be clear that ambition isn't a bad thing, but it's really about what we're ambitious for. Are we ambitious for the things that God values or are we ambitious purely for our own end? Are we ambitious purely because it's all about us and it's all about what we want? It's all about our selfish desires. And I got to tell you guys, selfish ambition, it creeps in to the most unexpected places in our lives. And this might blow your mind, but one of the places that, that selfish ambition can creep in that, that you may never think that it could is actually when we serve others. We see it actually happen um, when, we're, when we're out there doing service work, when we go on a mission trip. Selfish ambition can actually creep in. I'll, I'll tell you a little story to illustrate. So um, when Grace first began as a church, the, the first major compassion and justice initiative that the church embarked upon was uh, starting a pre-K program to help kids in a low-income neighborhood in Arlington who were 
starting elementary school way behind, um, basically started this program to help make sure that they were at a good place. Uh, Grace was meeting in an elementary school, and this was the biggest need according to the principal. And so we said, as a church, let's go. Let's, let's serve right where the need is. So, um, so Christmas was coming. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty low income neighborhood, pretty low income apartment complex. And so, um, so, you know, the idea was, was hatched. Why don't we just, you know, bless everyone at Christmas time? And so, uh, basically what happened was, um, all of us at Grace Community Church, uh, went out and we went shopping and we bought all kinds of Christmas gifts that we're going to be a blessing for um, all of these children and families in this uh, low-income high-rise. And man, we transformed this community center of that high-rise. It looked like a Christmas store. It was absolutely awesome. And we had hot chocolate, and we had flyers that we put all through the uh, apartment complex. And, um, and there was a line a, a mile long of, of children and their families waiting to get in. And, and like every child who came through got a present. Now at this point, you're like, okay, Derek, that, that sounds amazing. What the heck does that have to do with selfish ambition? I mean, what, what, what could possibly be wrong with that? That sounds like the most unselfish, most noble endeavor. Well... Let me ask you a question. Who do you think came away from that event with the most warm fuzzies? Who do you think felt the best about that event? Who was it? Just call it out. Who felt great? Yeah, the church, man. Like all of us who had contributed, those of us who were there helping to hand out gifts and put out flyers and seeing that long line of kids, right? We felt amazing because after all, we got to see the smiles on those kids' faces as they, as they grabbed those gifts, you know? We were the heroes, you guys. Grace Community Church had come in and we had saved Christmas for all of these children and their families. So let me ask you another question. Who do you think maybe didn't have such warm fuzzies? Who didn't feel so great on that night? Any guesses? The parents. The parents. Because you see, every parent wants to be in a position where they can provide, right? Every parent wants to be a hero for their kids. They want to be the ones who are putting the smile on their kids' faces. And so, you know, man, after we kind of dealt with the aftermath of the event and, and felt all great about it, upon a lot of reflection and conversations and some serious prayer, we came to realize that, and, and granted, this selfish ambition, it wasn't a conscious thing, okay? I mean, here, here's the reality. Uh, as a church and as people, we want to we know that we're making a difference. I mean, we want to we wanna feel like, yeah, we're having an impact in what we do. So, so this was more at a very subconscious level. But the reality is, we had to turn over whatever selfish ambition that we had to be able to see firsthand that we made a difference, in the lives of these children. And we instead had to basically just realize that what we needed to do 
was we needed to make sure we did everything possible to give dignity and honor and the utmost respect to those parents. That we wanted to make sure we empowered the parents to be the heroes. Okay? And um, that, that philosophy of empowerment and bringing dignity to everyone we serve, that pervades everything we do when you think about compassion and justice initiatives at Grace Community Church. Every single partner organization, every single uh, mission trip that we do, that is at the forefront of our minds. How are we empowering those we are trying to serve? At the end of the day, it's not about us and how great we feel and what we accomplished. We want to make sure that those we serve, they feel great. They're the heroes. They accomplish something. So that's why, as you are hearing about um, what we're doing this Christmas for all of the um, families who are struggling at Thomas Jefferson Middle School and at George Mason High School, um, you won't find uh, a similar thing to what we did all those years ago. Instead, we have this massive Christmas uh, um, gift card operation that we do, where basically we partner with the social workers at those schools, and I come to identify all of the different families who are really hurting and really struggling, and we make sure that we get gift cards through those social workers into the hands of the families, into the hands of the parents. Now, they know that this is coming from the church, you know, so, so it's all good, but the reality is now the parents get to go out and they get to make Christmas happen for their children. We, uh, we have one of our favorite local partners. Um, it's called Little Lights. Uh, many of you guys know about Little Lights. Many of you serve with them. Um, but Little Lights does a slightly different version of a Christmas store. They actually have a whole bunch of uh, gifts and toys and things that get donated but the big difference, okay, the big difference is that they make sure that the only ones who get to be, to go into that store, who get to participate that time of year are the parents, right? So that the parents get to be the ones who get to be the heroes for their kids. Now, here's the reality. This is tough stuff. Because there's just a part of us, especially when we're part of the church, you know, the church is supposed to be the light of the world, you know, the church is supposed to be this blessing, we're supposed to be out there, we're supposed to be, you know, making contact with all of these folks. But the reality is, we also want to bring dignity and honor and empowerment to those we serve. And so, uh, it's one of the reasons why... Um, I love the event that we've got coming up in just a few weeks because it really balances, you know, this want for us to know that we're making a difference with also empowering and bringing dignity to those that we serve. So on December the 15th, which is a Sunday, instead of uh, having a church service, we're going to be the church that day. We're not going to be gathering at Thomas Jefferson Middle School like we normally do. We're not going to be gathering at George Mason High School. Instead, we're going to be gathering at Kenmore Middle School in Arlington. And on that day, we're going to be packing 200,000 meals that are going to be sent in different places around the world to a bunch of different partner organizations. And uh, the, the thing that's so cool about this is that because we send those meals to these different partner organizations that are doing amazing work, 
those organizations get to be the heroes. Because what happens is, let's say you've got a school, okay? And, and that school is in a very vulnerable area where a lot of kids, you know, they're, they're not able to go to school because it, they're, they, they, the parents basically need to have their kids begging or doing some sort of work to make sure that everybody gets fed. Now, what if instead there's meals coming in to that local school, What happens is the parents send their kids there because now they know that their kids are going to be fed and taken care of. What you see is often enrollment in in all kinds of programs where there's a hot meal doubles or even triples in attendance. And that's really the, the whole key to breaking the cycle of poverty is empowerment and education. Okay, so so we get to make sure through these 200,000 meals that we are empowering all of these local partners. But at the same time, we get to feel good, okay? There's, there's a feel-good portion of this for, for our church. And th- this is why it's such a win-win. Because you see, we get to get in there and get after it. We're packing every single one of those meals. We're pouring in the rice and the beans and the dried vegetables and, and all that stuff. We're bagging that and boxing it. And... Um, and man, it's just, it's a, it's a great experience to know, like, you know, you were a part of that. You sweat a little bit. You got to, you know, you, you got to be in the mix. And so um, it, it's definitely the most popular church service we have. You don't have to hear anybody give a sermon. It's awesome. You get to be the sermon, which is way cooler. Um, so I just want to let you know that um, registration just opened a couple of days ago. And um, so for right now, we're just keeping registration just to within the, the Grace family. We want to make sure that all of you guys have a chance to register before just the word gets out everywhere. Um, so, so here you go. This is the inside track. If you go to bit.ly slash H2H volunteer, you can register there. You do have, you have to register for this event. You must register. The access code that you'll need is hunger to hope. So one more time, it's bit.ly slash H2H volunteer. And the access code you need is hunger, the number two, and the word hope. That's all one word, all lowercase. So I encourage you to, um, to check that out. It's going to be a great, great time. Um, now, I want to read two more verses that um, James shares here. And these verses, verses 17 and 18, they're, they're highly practical. James has told us that we need to do deeds in the humility that comes from wisdom. So what does humility that comes from wisdom, what does that look like? James is going to spell it out. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then, now, As I read these next few words from James, I just want you to see if maybe God brings one of these words to your attention. If you notice one more than another, because maybe, maybe this week leading up to Thanksgiving, there's one of these that God wants you to apply to your life. So this humility that comes from wisdom, it's peace-loving. Maybe there's some of you and you need to be a little bit more of a peacemaker this week. It's considerate, thinking about other people first. It's submissive. Now, I don't think there's anyone in this room that's excited about that word. But let me just give you a working definition of submissive. Submissive 
is willing to yield to others. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat all the time. It doesn't mean that you're some sort of weakling that gets trampled all over. But for some of us, we're never willing to yield to anyone, ever. And maybe it just means we just need to be open to the idea that we could be willing to yield here and there. What else does humility that comes from wisdom look like? Well, it's full of mercy and good fruit. Maybe you struggle with extending mercy to other people. Finally, it's impartial. None of us would ever be partial in a city like D.C., right? We'd never be biased. Um, And finally, it's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If God brought one of those words to you, just notice that. Maybe you're supposed to do something about that this week. Okay, so last thing that I want to share is, you know, maybe you're sitting here and saying, okay, man, this, you know, it's important to be humble and fight against pride. And I see kind of practically how we live that out. But, but how, do we, how do we gain humility? Like, how, you know, what, what's the thing that motivates to be humble? How, how do we, you know, how do we stay humble? Well, if you're here and um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're just kind of taking a, peek at Christianity. You're still exploring this whole faith thing. And you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian. You're not even sure what you necessarily believe about Jesus, but you know that he was a pretty good person, pretty influential. What I would say is that a great way to stay humble is to follow the example of Jesus Christ. After all, Jesus is arguably the greatest and most influential person to ever walk the face of the earth. And no matter what you believe about Jesus, you do pretty well to try and imitate him. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, verses five through eight. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You know, the reason that Jesus is considered the greatest person to ever walk the earth is because he was the greatest servant to ever walk the earth. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, those last words in that verse are so important. We can never lose sight of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as Christians, we know this. It was Jesus' death on a cross. It was his loving sacrifice 
He took on all the sin of the world and swallowed it up out of his great love for us so that through what he has done for us, we are called righteous in the eyes of God. I gotta tell you, it's so easy to lose sight of that. As a Christian, it really, really is. I remember uh, in my early 20s, I was, uh, I was newly married and I was just a few years into, uh, into my faith journey. I, I uh, put my faith in, in Jesus in my early 20s. And um, I remember it was uh, one Saturday morning and I, I woke up early. And um, so I'm awake nice and early. My lovely new bride, Becky, is, uh, is still asleep. And, um, and I decided I was going to read my Bible. I was going to spend some time with God, and then I was going to do some praying. Now, one of the things that's really important for you to understand is the context here. So this was not a regular practice that I did, okay? Like, I wasn't in the habit of getting up early and reading the Bible and spending time with God. But I happened to wake up early that one day. And I don't know, um, you know, if you've ever, if you can ever relate to this, but you know, when you, when you wake up early and, and, you know, you, you do a little Bible reading and then you're doing some praying, you know, it just feels good, doesn't it? I mean, like you just feel like, man, this, this is how I should start every day, man. You feel good. You feel spiritual. You feel grounded. I mean, it's just, it's a pretty amazing thing. So, I'm doing some Bible reading and then I start to, to just say this prayer to God. Very innocently, it starts out. Now, one other thing that you need to know is my wife, Becky, she's the one that actually brought me to faith, okay? She's, the, she's way more spiritual than me. She has way more faith than me. She's a lot more like Jesus than I am, okay? So you gotta understand that. But there she is sleeping that one morning and I'm awake and I've been reading my Bible, baby, Okay? And now I'm praying and I'm feeling good. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling really good. So I start praying. Just I don't even remember what the prayer goes, but I remember where it went. And where it went was I was like, God, I am just so grateful for what you've done for me. And then I just remember praying for my wife. I said, I just, I just, I just wish that she could be as grateful as I am. <laughs> You guys see how messed up that is? And I mean, I was praying, like you can't be doing a more spiritual, righteous thing than that, right? I mean, I'm praying to God. Do you see how easily our pride creeps in? Oh my goodness. What is my wife doing sleeping in when I'm up early reading the Bible and praying? Don't mind that I was sleeping in the day before and the day before and the day before that, right? It's amazing. And what I lost sight of that morning is that we lose sight of all the time in our Christian journey. Don't miss this. You gotta, you gotta pay attention to this. Pride is insidious and yet hidden from our sight. We can't see it. It's a blind spot. Not a single one of us right now thinks we have a pride issue, okay? It creeps in in the most unexpected places. But here's the reality. Listen, listen. There is nothing, nothing that you and I can ever do to make God love us any more than he already does. There's nothing you can do. Some of you feeling really good because you came to church this morning, okay? Or you're watching online. Awesome. 
There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. We can never lose sight of the cross and what that means. Because you see, at the cross, that's when Jesus demonstrated his unconditional love for us. And it's not by what we do in our life, it's what he has done for us. When we grasp that, you guys, when we grasp the unconditional love of God expressed through Christ on the cross, what we realize is that the foot of the cross, which is where we remain our entire Christian life, at the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground. There's nobody that's like got a little more favor with God. There's no one who's a little bit more loved by God. There's no one who's God just wants to bless a little bit more than anybody else. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Why is this so important? Well, James would say, come on, guys. This is why I wrote the letter. You got to live out your faith. But if you're going to live it out, you live it out in response to God's love and what he's done for you. And from that posture, on equal ground with everybody, that's where we can love. That's where we can serve. That's where we can forgive. There is nobody that you can't love and serve and forgive when you realize that we are all perfectly equal and perfectly loved in the eyes of God. So, in order to help you guys just lean into this a little bit more, we are going to just spend the next few minutes at the foot of the cross. We're going to celebrate communion to conclude our services today. So I'm going to ask that our music teams here and at West Falls Church and our communion teams would uh, go ahead and take your places now, if you would. I want to let you know, if you have not taken communion at Grace before, um, so you will take a wafer, and that wafer represents Jesus Christ's body, which was broken out of his great love for you. And you will take a little cup of juice, which represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for you. Now, the reason that we do this is because Jesus actually instructed us to do this in remembrance of what he's done for us. It's, it's a way to keep us grounded, to keep us humble. Jesus instructs us to do this. And um, what I love about it is it's just a very practical, very tangible, experiential reminder of what God has done for us. So uh, our West Falls Church campus, uh, Pastor John is going to go ahead and lead you guys through communion. Uh, For those who are with us online, I encourage you just grab something to eat and something to drink and please uh, join with us. And uh, for those of us who are here in this room, um, what you're going to do is, uh, and I encourage our team just to go ahead and start passing those trays now. Go ahead and if you'd like to, communion is open to everybody here at Grace. Go ahead and start um, to take a, take a wafer and take um, a little cup of juice and hold on to those. Don't uh, eat or drink right now. We're going to wait till everybody is served. And I just want you in these next few moments, as you hold what represents the body and the blood of Jesus, just, just sit and just sit with that for a minute. Think of what Jesus has done for you. Allow yourself to be humbled by that. 
And then I'll be back up in just a minute and we will eat and drink together. This is Jesus' body, broken out of his great love for you. Let's eat together. This is Jesus' blood shed out of his great love for you. Let's drink. God, thank you for the awesome reminder of how humbly you came into this world to love and to serve and to give your life for us and for everyone. Lord, please keep us grounded in your great love and keep us humble so that we can love and give and serve and live out our faith the same way you did, Jesus. In Christ's name.